Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Our church exists to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. For that reason, we want to take a moment and let you know about Growth Track. Growth Track is a three-week class designed to help you connect with us, discover who you are, and develop your leadership. Sign up for Growth Track and get more information at creekwoodchurch.com slash growth track or on our Creekwood Church app. We hope this message inspires you and helps you discover practical ways to live a life of purpose. Enjoy. What's up, Creekwood? All right, that's, yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, I'm a youth pastor, okay? I'm used to some crowd feedback. I'm also used to teenagers having conversations in rows, not paying attention to me. Uh, I'm used to them being on their cell phones. Um, So I'm used to whatever you throw at me. Uh, So it's okay, relax a little bit. Um, Whatever you got for me today, bring it on. Um, Because we're going to have some fun. Uh, Hey, my name is Matt. I am the next-gen pastor here at Creekwood, which simply means um, I get the honor of serving our teams that are under the age of 18, uh, making sure that our kids, critters, and student teams are strategizing and doing whatever we can to connect with the next generation. Um, And it's been one of the coolest things I've ever, ever been a part of. Today, uh, I'm going to be continuing our Insta Family series, and I know for those of you that have been here, Desi started it off, you had Brad following up last week, and both of them showed you pictures of their family. So today, I wanted to introduce you to my family. Um, This is my family right here. Uh, That's my wife, Sandy. Uh, We've been married just over seven years. We've been together over 15 years. We were high school sweethearts, met uh, and started dating her when I was 16 years old. Um, And that is our son right there, okay? (laughs) That's right. You can see he has my smile, okay? Um, That's Zio. He is uh, our golden doodle. You can see right here, this is what we dressed up for. It's Halloween. Um, Yeah. I mean, come on, y'all. Like, we we make a cute kid. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know. Um, But he's uh, he's seven months old, and um, that is my family. So, obviously... I'm not a parent in the traditional sense of the word, Um, but I want you to know I've been working with the next generation for a little over 15 years now, Um, and I want to challenge you today. I'm here to challenge you today. I'm not going to back away from that. I believe if something doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. Um, I believe in this place, every single one of us has a responsibility. There's a weight that all of us carry, from the youngest to the oldest, Whether you're a parent, whether your kids have grown and moved out, whether you're a single in here and have yet to meet someone to possibly have kids with, um, there is a responsibility that you have to the next generation. Um, And today I want to challenge you with that. Today we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. This is an extremely popular verse. Uh, This has been our key verse for this series. But the Bible says, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start them off in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, again, I'm not a a parent, but I feel the pressure of that verse, right? Parents, you ever felt the pressure of that verse? Like there's a weight that just comes along with that. There's a responsibility that you instantly recognize. And I understand like raising kids is a huge responsibility. There's no doubt about that. There's a pressure that comes with that. There's a huge pressure that comes with that. And what I believe, and what as we get smarter as a human race, something that God set up a long time ago, we're starting to discover is truth that parents, you are the most influential person in your child's life. Bar none, you are the most influential person in a child's life. 
Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the group consisting of mother, father, and child is the main educational agency of mankind. It's true. The family's important. The family's really important. But I don't believe family is the only thing that affects the next generation. Not only that, but we live in a world today where technology has become such a huge part of our lives. And I, I know that I believe at its core, technology is designed, these creators of technology, they're doing this in order to make us more efficient so that we can be freed up to do the things that we really want to do. But really what technology is doing is it's driving us away from relationships that we really need. Not only that, but parents, the realization that as your kids grow, as they get older, the amount of time that you have to invest relationally in them shrinks. Now, this is based on like a, a national average here, but let me just paint a, a picture for you today, parents. A preschooler, on average, you have 12 hours a day to invest relationally with them. By the time they get into elementary, it's cut in half. You now have six hours a day to invest relationally with them. It's interesting. Now, when they get into middle school, something happens here because once they get into this phase of their life, the game changes a little bit. In the first two, parents, you are 100% the authority in their life. You're the loudest voice that they will hear. But for the very first time in the middle school phase, we will see something happen that doesn't happen anywhere else. Parents, your, your, your influence begins to decrease, and for the first time, peer influence will increase in such a way that it will pass each other in this phase in middle school, which means there's a huge, huge amount things on the line. By the time they get into middle school, you only have four hours a day to invest relationally with them. And then once they're in high school with their schedule, their practices, their homework, maybe they're starting to date, they're driving, the freedom that they have now, you only have two hours a day. Two hours a day. So as they get older, you have less time with them. As you're raising adults, you have less time with them. Let me ask you a question, parents. Have you ever felt like you're not good enough? Moms, you ever felt that way? I've been talking to another mom, and you're like, she's so much better at being a mom. Like, her kid's socks always match, you know? Like, <laughs> dads, you ever felt that way? Been around other dads, and you're like, their kids think they're cool. Like, my kids don't think I'm cool. Like, they're so much better at being a dad than I am. You ever felt not good enough? I think there's a reason you feel that way. Parents, the reason you feel like you're not good enough is simply because you're not good enough. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not here to discourage you. I want to encourage you today. But the truth is, you're not good enough, parents. You're not patient enough. You're not smart enough. And, and we understand this in other areas of our life. When it comes to business, we understand that we're not good enough. We wouldn't hire ourselves for every position. We need somebody to do the finances, someone to do the inventory, someone on the sales team, someone on the marketing team. We're not going to be the end all to the business. We need other people in order for us to grow. Yet when we raise our children, a lot of us, we hold them so close to the coat. We try to do it all ourselves. The fact is, parents, you're not good enough, but I do have good news for you today. You're not good enough, but you're not alone. You're not alone. So since you're not enough, the only option for you is to find other adults who can be in this with you. The truth I want to communicate to you today is that great families are not built in an instant. It takes a village. Church, we're the village. 
We're the village. Every single one of us in here, from the youngest to the oldest, this is on us. I want to show you something in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we got Moses, and he's gathered the nation of Israel. And as he's gathered this nation of Israel, what's interesting about what Moses does is he throws out for the first time to the nation of Israel this realization that there is some people coming behind them that don't know what they know. Now, remember that the nation of Israel has just, they've walked out of slavery in Egypt. They've wandered the desert. They've wandered in the wilderness. They don't know where their next food is coming from. They've had to literally lean on God for a lot of what they're of their everyday, like, just needs. And Moses gathers, gathers the nation of Israel, and he addresses them and challenges them to pay attention to those coming behind them. But he doesn't just challenge the parents. He challenges the entire nation. In fact, I believe Moses is the first one to come up with the idea that it takes a village. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, this is what the Bible says. These are the commands decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life notice that Moses even in his address to the nation of Israel addresses the nation themselves that generation, he addresses their kids, and then he even addresses a generation that is not there yet, the kids that will come after them. Why is he doing that? Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Nation of Israel. And I love what he says as he finishes. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then you will eat and are satisfied. How many of you, that just reminds you of your kids? Living in houses they did not buy, sleeping in beds they did not buy, eating food they did not provide, soaking up that internet. And that cell phone bill, they are not paying. <laughs> but he says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What is Moses saying? I believe what Moses is communicating to the nation of Israel, obviously in context, is for the nation of Israel. So contextually, we understand that. But the principle of it transcends time. What Moses is talking about here is a generational gap. There's a gap. That, hey, nation, you need to pay attention because the things that, that have forged you, the faith that you have, it is because of the experiences that you've walked through. There's a generation coming behind you. They did not walk out of Egypt. They did not wander in the desert. They did not wander in the wilderness. They did not have to trust God literally to supply the next meal that they are going to have. So their work ethic is different. Their faith is different. The way that they trust is different. It's going to be different, which means you've got to lean in. 
you've got to understand them and you've got to recognize there's a generation coming behind you that's not like you. They don't think like you. They haven't been brought up the same way as you, but they still matter. They matter. They matter. So in a world where kids are known by a number on a jersey, digits on a carpool tag, random screen names on their social medias, we need more adults who will stop and lean in and get to know them personally. I don't think this is just a, an Old Testament thing either. In Matthew chapter 19, we see Jesus, a story where he's actually like interacting with kids. It's interesting because when I read this, I mean, I've always been drawn to this one passage in Matthew 19. And I always interpreted it just at face value and thought, it makes perfect sense. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Matthew chapter 19, the story goes, then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the, the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, I always took this scripture at face value, this story, and thought, like, the, the disciples are just dummies, right? Like, why, would you, why in the world would you keep kids from Jesus? But you need to understand that, that in that time, culturally, that was acceptable. In the Jewish culture, even in the Gentile culture, in that time period, children were to be seen and not heard. How many of you think that's a good idea? You're like, let's... <laughs> Let's bring that back, you know, the good old days. That sounds wonderful. They were to be seen and not heard. Not only were they to be seen and not heard, they were not considered useful. They were not considered a part of society. They were not considered worth their time until they were of age to actually work. Now, I know that God is a God of order, and I believe that there are order to things, and I think that's one of the reasons you and I have an order to our lives. It's something that God has put in us. And so we focus on what is at hand, what is in front of us, and we have this list, and whatever's next, we're like, you know what, I'll deal with that when it gets there. But Jesus in a world, in a culture, that everyone was brought up to, to look at a generation and say, that, well, that's next up. Let's not worry about them right now. Let's, let's not, they're not going to waste our time. Jesus, you don't have to waste your time on them. Jesus says, I don't care what culture says, bring them to me. I think even the way that we title the next generation subliminally can do something to us to just make us think that, hey, they're up next. But church, can I tell you, they're not a next generation. They're a now generation. They're happening right now. And Jesus, as Christ followers, modeled this to us to say, hey, we need some adults who will lean in, speak over their lives, impress some things on these kids to lead them in a way that culture is ignoring. It's a big deal. We see this played out in the Bible all the time, the older leaning into the younger. You see Moses, who leaned into Joshua. Paul, who leans into Timothy. Elijah, who leans into Elisha. Eli, mentored. Samuel, Samuel then mentored Saul, and then David. It takes a village. It takes a village. All of us in here carry a weight we carry a responsibility to the next generation. We got kids walking around not knowing who they are, asking questions with no one to answer them for them. Parents, you're trying to do this on your own, and I'm telling you, you don't have to. 
Great families aren't built in an instant, it takes a village. Today I wanna show you a few things that we've learned to help you relate to the next generation, to help close this gap. Because if we don't do something, they're gonna be wandering around, not knowing what they were created for, who they were created by, the purpose that God has for them in this life. It takes a village because every kid needs to have a consistent voice in their life besides their parents. Parents, has this ever happened to you, this phenomenon where you've been trying to teach your kids something, you've been saying it to them over and over again, and they're just not getting it. And they go off to school or practice or wherever, and they come back and they're like, you will not believe what teacher so-and-so or coach so-and-so or small group leader so-and-so said. And you're like, are you kidding me? I've been saying that to you for 10 years. <laughs> well, the fact is, sometimes parents, they don't want to hear it from you. And they won't get it when they hear it from you. That's why it's so important that they have other voices in their life. Listen, there's other voices in their life, and whether you realize it or not, so you better make sure that they have the right voice. Church, that's why it's so important that you and I understand this, because every kid needs a consistent voice in their life besides their parent. Why is this important? Think about this as a preschooler. A preschooler needs an, a consistent adult in their life because they can be terrified by an unfamiliar face. You ever seen a preschooler get introduced to Santa for the first time? Right? Like it makes for great family photos that one day you can show at their wedding. You know, you're like, look at that. Tough guy now. Look at him. Poor Santa. But an unfamiliar face can be terrifying for them. So listen, when you show up consistently for a preschooler, you're doing something huge. You're communicating something huge to them. When you serve a preschooler on a Sunday or a Saturday service, you're not just serving the Lord. What are you doing? You're communicating something to them. Hey, this is a safe place. It's a safe place. Not that it's just a safe place, but hey, let me model to you what a safe adult looks like. Let me set you up to understand what a safe adult who can speak into your life looks like. How huge is that? You need a consistent adult. By the time they get into elementary, why does an elementary kid need a consistent adult? They need a consistent adult because they will tell a stranger anything. Parents, you know this. You've been around someone and your kid says something, you're like, boy, <laughs> ooh, his dad, his dad says the craziest stuff, you know. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. We're working on that. My wife is a, she's an elementary school teacher. And a second grader, they were doing a project in their class. They had to write this story to describe uh, what it would be like to live in their house. And the second grader wrote this down. I love this. He said, in my house... You'll hear my crazy baby brother crying and my dog munching his food. You'll smell my mom's lavender plugs, but you might also smell trash because we forget to take it out sometimes. <laughs> and they read this at a party in front of everybody, including parents. And mom was like, oh, I guess we got to take the trash out more. Like, our house stinks, apparently. They'll tell anything to a stranger, which parents means like the village matters. Man, how awesome would it be to have a village, to have adults who leaned into kids and when they told some of their deepest, darkest secrets, or maybe some things that raised some red flags, you had a village, knew what to do with that, knew how to speak life into that, knew how to encourage that, knew how to help them walk the path of healing to that. 
need a consistent adult. By the time they get into middle school, they need a consistent adult. And again, as we get into this phase, the game changes because now... In the previous phases, man, parents, you were the absolute authority in their life. What you said, for the most part, goes. But as we get into middle school, peer influence begins to take over. So we're not just talking about authority in this phase. Listen up, we're talking about identity in this phase. Man, this becomes such a bigger, bigger thing. Middle schoolers need a consistent voice in their life because nothing in their life is consistent. You ever met a middle schooler? You ever hung around some middle schoolers? Nothing's consistent for them in this phase. We know neuroscience-wise, like, their brains aren't even consistent. They're literally breaking down, building up every single day. We know that their mood is not consistent, right? Their feelings are not consistent. Their bodies, they got hair popping up everywhere. They're growing like crazy. They're not consistent. Their smell is for sure not consistent. If you don't believe me, man, 645, we do a middle school service right in here, and there is a haze that covers this room. It hovers. And it's not the spirit of the Lord, okay? It is middle school scent. It's amazing that it actually gets out of here by, by the weekends. I don't understand it. Nothing is consistent in their life. But listen, listen. In this phase, they're asking questions like, who likes me? Do I like me? In this phase, they're motiva- motivated by acceptance. Man, a couple weeks ago, I was at youth, and this middle schooler gets out of the car, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was like, man, what's up? And hug him, high five, we have a conversation, and the rest of the night, he was literally following me around like a shadow. I'm like, dude, hey, what's up? What are you doing? And I realized, I realized what he's doing. He's walking around going, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Man, we got middle schoolers showing up every week asking, do you like me? Is there anybody that likes me? Do I like me? They're struggling with their identity and they're struggling with acceptance and they're struggling with who they are. And we need some adults that will take some time and they'll pause on their life and they'll lean in and they'll make it matter to a middle schooler. They'll be a consistent voice. By the time they get to high school, they need a consistent adult because the only people they trust is people who show up consistently. In high school, you earn the right to have a voice in a high schooler's life. Now, I get it. Like, high schoolers are scary, right? You know, they're so cool. You know, they make fun of people. You know, they, they talk in ways you don't understand. You're like, oh, that's scary. I don't want to touch that. You know, no thanks. Listen, the high schoolers aren't scary. They're skeptics. They're skeptics. They're, they're watching you. Are you going to be here next week? Are you going to show up? Do you just talk a big game or or do you actually like live it out? They're asking those questions. They're motivated by freedom, but they're trying to discover who they are. They're looking for adults who will speak into their lives so they can understand what their purpose in life is. This is huge. It's huge. We earn the right to have a voice in a high schooler's life. Church, the next gen needs you. Families aren't built in an instant. It takes a village. And it takes a village because every kid needs someone who knows their history. Parents, you know their history. You've been with them. But every kid also needs someone who can rediscover them right now. Rediscover them right now. We got to read them before we lead them. And I know that there's challenges to this. 
Teenagers aren't easy to lead. Uh, there's a study done in 2000. They said that the average attention span of a teenager in the year 2000 was 12 seconds. 12 seconds. That's 2000. Now, in 2019, they're saying the average attention span of a teenager is eight seconds. A goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> it's easier to teach a goldfish. How do you teach a, a high schooler algebra in, with an attention span of eight seconds? Listen, I, I'm not saying they don't have the ability to focus because they do. They will binge watch Netflix for three days. You won't know where they are. You open their door and you're like, oh my gosh, what does that smell? Half drunken sodas everywhere. This, this is where you've been? They have the ability to focus. We have to engage them. There is a generation coming behind you that they don't know what you know. They don't think like you think. They're not into what you're into. We got to understand them. It's huge. It's huge. Think about the world that they've grown up, grown up in. There's a, there's a cognitive therapist, Dr. Robert Leahy. And he, he created this word picture to describe the world that this next gen is growing up in. He uses the word seen to describe this word picture. And the, word, the letter S in seen to describe the world that we live in today is speed. Our world today is defined by speed. Think about it, high-speed internet, it's everywhere. But if we're not careful, we communicate to the next generation a world where they've grown up in where speed is everything, that slow is bad. And we know that, man, there's some great things that we can get from slow, like marriage. Marriage is slow, right? Great marriages are built on slow. It takes time. If we're not careful, we communicate that slow is bad. C stands for convenience. And if I'm growing up in a world of convenience, hard is bad. Man, the, the number one phrase that educators between kindergarten and 12th grade hear is, this is too hard. The curriculum has not changed. Yet this generation is saying, this is too hard. They're growing up in a world of convenience. And if we're not careful, we communicate to them that hard is bad. E stands for entertainment. Entertainment is now in our hands. In a world where they grow up, that entertainment is everywhere. If we're not careful, we communicate that boring is bad. Here's what cognitive therapists are finding out, that we actually need space to be bored. It's good. Because in the time when we're bored, we actually have the space to create things like empathy, creativity excels. So the next time your kid says, I'm bored, say, good, go get some more bored. It's good for you. In a world where entertainment is everywhere, if we're not careful, communicate that boring is bad. N stands for nurture. We've nurtured the next gen. Safety, pads on everything. I get it. They're your babies. But if we're not careful, we communicate that risk is bad. 72% of high schoolers say they want to be an entrepreneur. If you want to start your own business, you have to take some risks. If we're not careful, communicate that risk is bad. And E stands for entitlement. We love this one, don't we? So entitled. I'm not saying that they aren't. But in a world where entitlement is everything, in a world where they've grown up with cities, they did not build olive groves, they did not plant. If we're not careful, we can communicate that labor is bad. And here's the deal. All of these things that in this picture that we can communicate that are bad, those are things that grow us, right? Slow, labor, risk. These are things that grow us. What I'm saying is we've got to approach the next gen differently. We've got to recognize the world around us. It's really important that we understand this. Listen, there's a difference now between millennials and this new generation that they're calling Generation Z. Depending on who you believe is the like 
end all say all of categorizing people. Let's just call it this, like millennials really now are getting into the workforce. Anybody over the age of 20 to about 35 is a millennial. I'm a millennial. Generation Z is everybody under that. But here's the diff- deal, they're different. Man, I, I talk to adults all the time who love talking about millennials. They're like, man, boy, that, these millennials, man. They just lump everybody into them, this millennial. Like, boy, you wouldn't believe this millennial. We just hired at work. <laughs> Can't get him to do nothing, you know? <laughs> but listen, there's a generation that's coming behind them that's even different. It's important that we understand the differences. Man, millennials, they were really confident. Like, man, get out of my way. I'm going to be CEO by 26 because we gave him a trophy for putting the fork in a dishwasher, you know? <laughs> like, participation trophies for everything. You got last? Here's a participation trophy. Like, well, you lost. You don't get nothing for that. No, it's good for him. <laughs> They're really confident. Millennials are real confident. Generation Z, though, they're more cautious. Viral posts are turning into vanishing one. Snapchat, nine seconds, it's gone. They've gone from consuming media. Man, millennials would go and binge watch YouTube to now wanting to create media in Generation Z. They're like, I want to be the YouTuber. I want to make those YouTube videos. Text messages are morphing into iconic ones. They're not just using words anymore. They got emojis everywhere. Which means adults, you got to understand what those are. If you don't know what they are and you use them wrong, Millennials, anticipation to Generation Z is to see that it's morphing into anxiety. Dr. Robert Leahy did a study, found that the average high schooler today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Man. College students were asked to describe their life in a phrase. 94% of them said, I'm overwhelmed. One in out of every 10 high schoolers right now have thoughts of suicide. One in out of every 10. The average adolescent takes in over 10,000 messages a day. Whew. Many middle schoolers are saying that I draw my primary source of identity from social media. It's so important that we understand who they are. The world that's shaping them. What am I saying? I think we need to approach them differently. It's probably time that we set down the screens and we get back to -to face-to-face relationships. We need adults who will lean in and rediscover kids now. Yeah, I know you don't know what Minecraft is all about. I know you don't care about it, but they do. Which means, like, care about it. Not because you care about Minecraft, but because you care about them. We need somebody that can rediscover them now, someone that can speak their language, someone that will care enough to go, hey, you don't think like me, you don't look like me, we haven't grown up the same way. I don't get you, but I want to know you. Great families aren't built in an instant. It takes a village. And it takes a village because every kid needs a safe place outside of their home. Every kid needs a safe place outside their home. But connection... So the next gen is going to take an older generation, some humility. It's going to take work. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Connection takes time. 
and it's cultivated in many invisible acts. Man, I, I, the truth is you can't influence someone that you don't know. Kids don't learn from somebody they don't like. We're gonna have to pause. We're gonna have to lean into the next gen because we got kids wandering around and they're asking questions like, who likes me? Do you like me? Do I matter? Who am I? This is a big deal. Not only are they asking these questions, but man, church, I'm seeing that there is a gap that is created between these the, the generations. It's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger. And so as it gets bigger, there's a problem that's created because now I can, I can promise you this, they're looking for a voice. They're looking for answers. Who are they turning to? Social media? Their peers? What? That's not how God set it up. It's not how it's supposed to be. As this gap gets larger, the kids wander around. They need some adults who will lean in. Let them know they matter. I want to know you. I want to guide you. I want to introduce you to my friend Macy. I asked a couple of our teenagers, hey, just send them a text. Who's a leader in your life? Made an impact. This was their response. This is Macy. Macy said, Anna was the first leader that took time out of her life to get to know me. I met her my sophomore year of high school and she led me all the way through the last days as a senior. She's still in my life today. And it helped change my life by simply being there. And I thought I didn't have many people in my life. My main memory of her is her helping me when I had problems going on at home. I decided to take a drive and I ended up in the, parget, the Target parking lot. I pulled out my phone and I needed someone to talk to. She was the first person that popped in my mind. I called her and she answered on the first few rings. She sat there and she listened to me, gave me good advice. After that phone call, I felt loved and heard. This is Emily. Emily actually led worship with us this morning right here. She's a student leader on Wednesday nights. Emily said this, my leader was one of my teachers from my school I attended, Mrs. Smallwood. She was my choir teacher from sixth grade until junior year of high school. I was shy when we met, not confident in my abilities. Plus, I was young, so I was still trying to figure out my own identity. Mrs. Smallwood was a perfectionist. She was all in when it came to the music department, and she encouraged me to do solos, advanced choir, show choir, audition for musicals, and even more than that. She was an amazing example of a hard worker, and she pushed me to do the same. I called her my school mom because I always knew I could drop by Mrs. Smallwood's classroom at the end of a bad day. She would counsel me and she would pray with me. She told me to expect the best for myself. She kept me accountable in my behavior and my walk with the Lord. Growing up was certainly, she was one of the biggest influence outside of my family. And I really don't think I'd be the same person if I'd never met her. I'm a harder worker and I'm a more devoted Christ follower because of Mrs. Smallwood. It matters. Let me introduce you to Landry. Landry's a freshman in college now. 
Landry said this, Adam has been a life group leader, family group leader, and camp counselor for me. Throughout high school, Adam showed me not only how to be a Christian, but gave me an example of how I should be a father, a husband, and a role model to those younger than me. I learned many things from Adam, including how to manage debt and credit score, how to relate scripture to everyday life, how to build better relationships. And one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about Adam is that he was someone I could go to and talk to about anything and be able to give me advice that wasn't just spiritual, but was from his experience as a guy, as a Christian, and as a father. What I learned from Adam most is how he leads others. Throughout high school, Adam would challenge me to step out of my comfort zone and to be a leader to my peers. He saw me as a leader and would constantly be speaking it over me, even when I didn't believe it myself. In fact, I still have a note that he wrote me from summer camp three years ago. Three years ago. You don't think they're listening? You don't think it matters? You don't think they hear you? You don't think it makes a difference? Now I lead my brother and other middle schoolers and I keep in mind what Adam did for me and I try to be that example for them. I'm so thankful for Adam. The time he sacrificed to be with us high school guys. I wouldn't be the man or the Christian I am today without Adam's influence during high school. And just some adults that leaned in, that leaned in, that understood that it takes a village. They leaned into some teenagers, they leaned into some kids' life and they just made it matter to them. They understood something. Listen, church, when, when, when you get served, when we serve the next generation, we help them find their identity. But it doesn't stop there. When you serve, you find your purpose. Man, God is a God of balance. He's a God of justice. He's not going to let that go unchecked. When you pour out, he pours back in. It takes a village. Man, at, at Creekwood, we, we're seeing just over 650 kids from the under the age of 18, walk through our doors every single week. That's cool. Mansfield has over 35,000. And even at 650, we don't have enough adults that can lean in. We got adults on Wednesdays, on the weekends, bouncing from kid to kid because they're asking, who likes me? Who do you like me? Do I like me? They're lost. But I get it, man. You, they're not like you. They don't think like you. They've been raised like you. They don't have the same work ethic as you. They may not even have the same political lean as you, but they matter. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying it's gonna change the world. What if it changes theirs? Isn't that worth it? It takes a village. We're the village, it's our, it's our job, it's our responsibility. From the youngest to the oldest, it's time that we step up, that we close this gap, that we help a generation find their identity, we help a generation understand that they are loved, that they are worth it, that they are known. It's gonna take some adults who will pause the things that are going on in their life, lean in, and make it personal, to make it matter to a generation behind them. Will you pray with me today? Gotta to thank you so much for your word. Gotta thank you that a book written a long time ago still challenge us today. Lord, I, I pray for every person in this room, God, that they would feel the weight of the next generation. God, that they wouldn't just hear about a need and walk by it, God, but they would do something about it. They realize the next generation needs them. 
counting on them. I don't know where to go without them. So God, I pray that you would encourage some leaders in here today, encourage some adults in here today. Take note of the next generation around them. God, I pray that you would lead them to help this next generation find their identity, to answer these massive life questions. Lord, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. If you have been encouraged by the ministry of Creekwood Church and would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at creekwoodchurch.com or on our Creekwood Church app. For directions, service times, and more information about the ministries of Creekwood Church, please visit our website at creekwoodchurch.com.